This morning I have one question for you. Whose are you? Whose are you? To whom do you belong? To what or to whom do you belong? What is really your commitment? Whose are you? And to answer that question, we're looking this morning at John chapter 17, and I'm going to read for us verses 9 and 10. Jesus is speaking. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This is God's word. Amen. Do please take your seats. Whose are you? Whose are you? To whom do you belong? To what do you belong? What is your true commitment? The orientation of your life, the direction of your days. Whose are you? The answer to that question will shape your destiny, shape your life. And if you are truly committed to Christ, you will have everything that he offers, every blessing now and forever, but it requires you being truly committed to him. Whose are you? And to answer that question, I have for us this morning an illustration, an opening illustration, a closing illustration, and in between three ways to be fully committed to Christ, all answering the question, whose are you? Here is the opening illustration. 2003, April the 26th, a man called Aaron Ralston was hiking in one of the national parks in Utah. He was uh, abseiling down a canyon, and as he was going down, one of the rocks, really one of the boulders, became dislodged and trapped his right arm against the wall. He was stuck there. He could not get out whatever he did. He was trapped there for days and increasingly dehydrated and becoming desperate. In the end, he did an extraordinary thing. He took out a multi-use tool from his backpack and severed his hand and hiked for six miles out of that national park until he was found by a family and was rescued. Let me ask you this. Do you feel trapped? Do you feel trapped because you're not really committed fully and utterly to Christ? We've heard one testimony already this morning, the difference it makes when you truly and utterly commit your life to Christ. There is joy, there is peace, there is new energy and passion. Do you feel trapped? We know from the Bible that Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You either serve the Lord or you serve materialism. You cannot serve both, and yet you and I will live in a world where there is a constant and current and endless temptation to give ourselves to materialism, to sensuality, to our own desires, to our own career. And we come to church and we hear about Jesus for an hour or so, and yet we're bombarded by ideas from Netflix, from movies, from TV, from our apps, from our phones, from our iPads, all the time that tell us that really life is found in a different place. And it's easy then for us to become trapped, pinned against the, wo- the wall by the boulder of materialism, by the boulder of the world. How, though? How do you find yourself fully committed to Christ? How do you find yourself truly belonging to him? Well, I have three ways for us from John 17, 9, and 10. And uh, the first is this. Receive forgiveness. 
receive forgiveness. And I get this from the first part of John 17 verse 9 where Jesus says there, I'm praying for them but I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you have given to me. Now what does he mean when he says I don't pray for the world? Is he saying, therefore, that it is wrong for us to pray for non-Christians or pray for the, the society around us? Clearly not. The Bible elsewhere tells us to pray for those in authority, for the government, for the world. And in fact, as this very prayer carries on, Jesus himself will pray for the world. He says, late in this prayer, I don't just pray for those that you've given me. I also pray for those who will become followers of, uh, of, uh, of, of you through their own testimony. Later, he prays for the world. And so Martin Luther, in summarizing this, he says, it is clearly right sometimes to not pray for the world and sometimes to pray for the world, depending on the nature and subject of the prayer. Now, the issue here is not whether he's praying for the world or not for the world. The issue here is that repeated little word, for. I'm praying for them, for, or on behalf of, or on account of, or instead of, or in place of. And once you get your mind around this, once you understand this, it will revolutionize your idea of what Christianity is truly about. Think of it. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus dies for you. Jesus comes to serve you. Yes, he is the Lord and master and the, the, the God of the whole universe, but what is distinct and unique about the Christian message that makes it different from any religion and makes it in a sense the anti-religion, it is not a religion. What is distinct is this, it is for you. Jesus is praying for you. He gives his life for you. He dies for you. He comes to serve you. It is really turning the whole idea of Christianity on its head. It is turning all our ideas of what religion's about on its head because actually Jesus gives his life for you. And it is a rewiring of our brains. I remember the time when I first began to think about it. I was on a team, a ministry team, being led by, it wasn't led by me, this ministry team, being led by a Danish Christian called Christian Tolstrup. And Christian Tolstrup kept on saying to us, you guys have it the wrong way around. You're always thinking about what you have to do to serve God. And of course we must serve God. But the heart of the Christian message is that Jesus came to serve you. It's for you. On behalf of you, in your place, instead of you. But we are always so like Martha, aren't we? Come here, I've got to do this, I've got to serve this, I've got to do this ministry, I've got to do this. But at the heart of the gospel message, at the heart of the Christian faith, is it's in your place. It's for you. In your stead. On behalf of you. Praying for you. Dying for you, his life for you, for you, will you receive for you? Will you receive forgiveness? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it begins by saying that you really need forgiveness. And how hard that often is. To actually say that we need forgiveness. You know, you come to a church like this and, you know, it seems like everyone has to be perfect. You know, everyone has to be able to sing like Robin Wiper or something like that. It's amazing. 
It's like, it's extraordinary. You know what? But, and, and, you know, everyone has to be perfect. Everyone has to be, you know, I sometimes feel slightly, you know, when someone introduces me and they say, you know, this is Dr. Josh Moody and, you know, here he is, MA, Cantab, PhD, and something like that. Like, you know, who cares? Like, do you think God cares about that? You know, I'm on my knees before the Lord. You know, Lord, here I am again. It's Dr. Josh Moody, MA, Cantab, PhD. <laughs> like, you know, who cares? No, we come to God as we are, broken and bleeding and sinners. That's what, and we come to church like that. It's, Lord, oh, Lord, I'm desperate. Lord, I just need you. Will you forgive me? It's for you. Receive. We come to worship like that. It's not like, you know, here I am, God. I'm going to tell you everything that I know. I'm going to tell you everything that's good. I'm going to tell you all the things that I've done. No, that's, that's, the, that's the wrong approach. It's, Lord, here I am. I'm just, it's me again, Lord, and you know I messed up again this week. I'm a basket case. Will you forgive me? And when you begin like that, you start to become unstuck, untrapped. Because only God can set you free from the boulder of the world. But he wants to do it. He can do it. It's for you. He's praying for you. It's for you. So first of all, to get unstuck, receive forgiveness. Here's the second way to do it. Pursue intimacy. Now I get this from the second half of uh, verse 9, the beginning of verse 10, where Jesus here describes his relationship with his people. Yours they are, and now they're mine, and they're mine, and now they're yours. In other words, he is ours, and we are his and we're a part of him. There's this relationship. It's such an overused word in Christian circles. It's relation. What does it mean? There's a covenant connection. We're, we're his and he is ours. We're, we're, he, not only is he for us, we're, we're in this covenant with him if we're his people, if we receive forgiveness. They're, they're mine. You're mine. He's a, he, 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 not only does he want us, he, he has us. We're his. And I think, you see, what, what's going on here is Jesus is referring back to an illustration, an, an image, an analogy that he used earlier in John's gospel about the shepherd. He says, you know, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's like, they're his. He knows us. We're his. In a right sense, he, he possesses us. And in a right sense, and we possess him. We're his. We're connected. Yours they are, and now they're mine. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And he's the good shepherd. Oh, what a change that is. When you get that. Oh, you'll be so unstuck. I so long for you to get that. You know, we talk about having quiet times or doing our devotions or saying our prayers. And you see, but I think what happens in the Christian life is this. So often we go along as a Christian and we start to want to do things for God and we start to want to, you know, we turn up to church and we, we, we want to give our lives to God. And yet then something happens. Something bad happens. A child is sick. A, a career opportunity falls apart. We lose our job. We, we ourselves get cancer. We, we, we fall in love with this just wonderful young lady, and yet she says no. 
or, or we've we got a boyfriend and, and that, that just all, it doesn't work out and now our heart is broken and w- w- the truth is now we're just, well, we're not just annoyed about the situation. The truth is we're annoyed about God. What we actually think is, God, I've given so much to you and this is how you treat me? It reminds me a little bit of that story of Mother Teresa one time. Mother Teresa was, was uh, on a mule in India and was traveling around and she was on this mule and suddenly the mule bucked her off and she fell off the mule and she landed in a great, a great sort of pond of mud and she came up splattered with mud from head to, toot, uh, head, to, head to foot and she said to have remarked immediately, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you've got so few. And that's what we feel. But we don't say it. We've got to be good Christians. What happens actually is we start to give God the silent treatment. And we'll still say our prayers and do our Bible study and come to, come to church and maybe give a little bit and perhaps serve in some area or other. But actually we're not pursuing intimacy. It's like, God, if that's how you treat me, I'm not really interested. And, and a distance goes up. What's the solution to that? The solution, there really is only one. The solution is honesty. You've actually got to be honest with God. That's why the Psalms are so wonderful like that. Psalm 73, look it up afterwards. There David is talking about how annoyed he is. He's talking about all the wicked people, the people and how, how healthy they are and what a good life they have and how much money they have and how nothing goes wrong with them. And then he says, but look at me, you know, I'm following you and I've got it, it's all falling apart. And he, he tells God all that. And then he says, he comes into the sanctuary not meaning the physical building, but intimacy with God. And then he gets it. He's God's. God is his. He's in a covenant relationship with him. He has joy and peace now and forever. And he pursues intimacy. You've got to be honest. You've got to actually tell God how you feel. You know, I found this a number of times in my life, whether it's something that's frustrated me in, in pastoral ministry, whether it's something personal in my physical health or with, with my family or my friends or something like that. And I get stuck until I actually tell God how I feel. You know, if you could listen into some of my prayers, you'd be shocked. I, be, I bet you guys think that I, I get down on my knees and I start saying, Oh Lord of heavenly mercies, how wonderful thou art, how great thou art in every possible way. Thou in all thy man- magnificence from beginning to eternity past to eternity future. You know. No, I tell him what I think. Lord, frankly, this week has been a bit of a disaster. And I feel terrible. Can you help me? You've got to actually tell him what you think. He knows anyway. It's not going to be a surprise to him. He's not sitting up there thinking, oh, I had no idea Josh was thinking that. <laughs> tell him. One person I um, was talking to like this, he was going through a very hard time in his life. And I said to him, I said, look, you know, actually, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity for intimacy. Beyond anything perhaps you've had before. He came back about a month later and he said to me, Josh, I wouldn't trade all that difficulty for the whole world. The experience I have of intimacy with God. I want you to have that. 
begins with telling him what you really think. So we're talking about how to get unstuck. Whose are you? How to really belong to God. And there are these ways of doing it from John 17 verses 9 and 10. And the first is to receive forgiveness. It's for you. It's for you. Receive forgiveness. He's died for you. It's for you. He's serving you. Receive that. And the second is to pursue intimacy. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Pursue intimacy. Pursue it in prayer. And it begins with honesty with God. Telling him what you think and, and trusting him with that. Pursue that. We, and we, we need to do that as a church in our worship together. We come, we pursue intimacy. We praise him. We say, Lord, when we pray, Lord, I need help. And we pursue it. And, and the Lord blesses us with a sense of his presence, we pray, as we gather each week. Well, the third one is this. Dream big. Dream big. I get this from the end of verse 10, where Jesus says what I think is just the the kind of the killer app of this passage, the amazing thing, the extraordinary thing, the just blow your mind thing, which is I am glorified in them. (laughs) Jesus is glorified Christian in you. Jesus is glorified, church, in us. I am glorified in them. See, we we find it hard to even conceptualize what that means. When we think of God's glory, we we think about it often so in the wrong, it's like somewhere up there, you know, the Western church has um, been captivated by two great heresies. And they work together. They make it so hard for us to get this. One great heresy that the Western church has been captivated by is consumerism. Because we live in a consumeristic society where everything is marketed to us, everything is sold to us, our natural default mode, mine as well as yours, all of ours, is to think of church that kind of way. His church, they've got a product. They're marketing it to us. Their product is God. I'm either going to buy it or not buy it. That's how we think. And because of that, the idea of Jesus being glorified in us, we're just thinking, what's in it for me? Am I going to buy that? Am I not going to buy that? And it, it puts up a barrier. And that works together the other great heresy of the Western church, which is deism. When I was talking about this with someone earlier this week, I said deism, which is how they say it in British English. So that's another. So here, especially for you, translation, deism. <laughs> deism. In other words, Deism is the idea that God is real, that he exists, but he's sort of up there. He doesn't get involved. But here Jesus is saying, I'm glorified, not just up there, not just in heaven, but in them. In them, in you, Christian, in us, church. I said, what does that mean? What it means is, you've got to dream big. What, what can you do at your phase of life that glorifies Jesus? What can you do with your friends that would glorify Jesus? What, what can you do at work that would glorify Jesus? What, what can you do at home glorify Jesus. Jesus. 
It means we've got to dream big as a church. Can't play it small. Jesus is glorified in us. What, what can we do that would everyone around would say, wow, Jesus is glorified in that. It's amazing. Jesus is amazing. You gotta dream big. In your own life, in the church's life. Maybe you've heard the phrase, think globally, act locally. Well, similarly, look at it like this. Think glory, act the gospel story. In other words, imagine what it would be like if 5% of the people who come to Cottage Church were feeling comfortable and active in sharing their faith. 5%. Imagine what it would be like if 25%. Imagine what it would be like if everyone who came here just felt just constantly sharing their faith. If they prayed for someone who wasn't yet a Christian, just one person. Had a relationship with someone who wasn't a Christian, just one person, a friendship. And in that relationship, share their life and what they thought about, you know, everything from the White Sox getting a grand slam slam this Friday. Isn't that right? You've got to be impressed now. That's real translation. (laughs) So... And, you know, everything, but, but then in that context, Jesus, and then inviting them to church. What would it be like if it wasn't just five, twenty, or, you know, I was so encouraged this week to uh, hear about our college students, a whole, a whole group of them are going out to College of DuPage, and those who live on the college, or work, go to study at the College of DuPage, those who study at Wheaton College, other, they're, they're going there, telling people about Jesus right there. What would it be like if we all had that? What would it be like if we're like active in this, this area of justice that we need a campaign for? Whether it's, uh, you know, human trafficking, whatever it is. Like this, Jesus is glorified in that. You've got to dream big. So, receive forgiveness, pursue intimacy, and dream, dream big. Began with an illustration about Aaron Ralston feeling stuck, and then we talking about how to get unstuck. Answer the question: Whose are you? These are ways to get unstuck. Asking the question: Whose are you that you belong fully and completely and committed to Jesus? Uh, receive forgiveness, pursue intimacy, dream big. Here's the closing illustration. It's of William Borden of Yale. William Borden came from a very rich background, an elite background, wealthy background. He became fully committed. To Christ, whose are you? The question was asked in a sense, and then he became, "I'm, I'm all in. I belong to Christ. I'm pursuing Christ. That is, he is whose. I'm his. Whose are you? I'm his. I belong to him." Borden of Yale answered that question in that way. He he received forgiveness. He pursued intimacy, and he dreamed big. And a big dream for him was to go off on the mission field and begin to figure out how to reach the Muslims in northwest China. He went to Cairo and uh, started to learn uh, Arabic there. And then he caught um, meningitis and he died at the age of 25. And a funeral uh, for him was taking place. He's buried in Cairo. And the story is his mother went out there for the funeral and found his Bible. 
And in his Bible were three phrases written with dates by them, obviously significant phrases. The first phrase uh, was uh, this. No reserves. And the date he'd uh, written by it was the time when he decided that all his millions, that didn't matter. He wasn't going to keep anything in reserve. No reserves. No reserves in the date. And the next phrase was no retreats. And there was a date written by it, and the date was significant because it was the date that his father, who was frustrated with his commitment to Christ, had decided that he would no longer sit on the, uh, on the board of the big family business. And it kind of kicked him off the board, and he just wrote, no retreats. And then the final uh, phrase, written just a few days before he died, with that date, was the phrase, no regrets. Whose are you? Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do pray that we would be those who receive forgiveness. We thank you so much that it's for us that you came. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be those who pursue intimacy with you. Lord, even now, we we come to you and say, Lord, this is really, truly where I am. This is really, truly what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. Would you help me? Would you strengthen me? Help us, Lord, to pursue intimacy with you. And then, Lord, we pray that we would dream big. Dream big about how our lives could be those in which you, Lord, are glorified in them. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.